ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Diet Time is here. That's right, it's Friday the 13th, part 5, still on the Kill by Kill podcast. Greetings and salutations, killers, it's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from Camp Crystal Lake, or wherever that mental institute or halfway house residence is, because we have yet to determine its exact locale, and this is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters, and we will be unpacking all the gory details of Friday the 13th Part 5 in the hopes that a camper's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes we can make about them, and as always, the only person I trust to cross this country with a mere van full of secondhand food is the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Well, as we uh, begin week 175 of getting through Friday the 13th Part 5... <laughs> It I, feels I, that way. I miss my family. I, I, I'm in, I'm enjoying this majestic long gray beard that I've grown since we <laughs> since we started watching this motion picture and discussing it. It's very stately. I mean, I, I think like another that. week or so, I, I might be long enough that I could throw it out a window and climb down of it. So climb down <laughs> and escape it, so we don't have to talk about this anymore. The light is at the end of this tunnel. I think we've reached the official halfway point of this journey. So. We have that going for us. And then we have something else going for us, which is our guest today. It is Ashley Blackwell. She writes for GraveyardSisters.com. And also the, the Girls Will Be Ghouls podcast, which I urge you to check out. Hi, Ashley. How are you doing? Hi. Thanks for having me, you guys. Oh, I'm so happy that you're here. Let's talk quickly about your experience with Friday the 13th. Everyone has a first. So what was your first experience with the franchise? It's really a blur. I don't remember. There's so many films. Uh, God, the, uh, what, I, what I do vividly remember as a child is uh, my mother dubbing films off of HBO and other, uh, <laughs> other illegal activities that people mm -hmm. did in the 1980s to swap VHS tapes. And I remember specifically, like you can put three films on one VHS tape. And she, we had like a mini library of them. Mm -hmm. And I always remember looking at her, her handwriting on one of the tapes and said, Friday the 13th, part seven, the new blood. And I always, I don't know why, I don't think, I don't think I've ever really remember watching the film, but I've always, whenever I would look at the library, I'd always look at that because I'm like, that is so cool. But I never thought to like actually put it in the VCR, but I just thought it was really cool that that was something that we had in our arsenal. As far as remembering actually watching a film, I honestly don't remember. It's really weird. Like I know I started watching them at, at a certain point i know i think as a child because because i saw jason goes to hell so young i actually mm -hmm. like it while as most real like friday the 13th fans hate it <laughs> that's what just the overall general feel i've gotten from people oh no i i love it because it's 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 so crazy it's yeah it's, I mean, it's horrible and wonderful at the same time it's a much more enjoyable experience in terms of a a film than part five is for me <laughs> I think five is a failure on almost every level, whereas part nine is actually trying to do something. Whether or not it always achieves that is up for debate, but there's a lot of really fun stuff within it, and it has an actual successful monster hunter in it. So it automatically ranks above part four because part four has the worst monster hunter of all time. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess the beef with it is that it's the continuity problems. It's the, it's the, in some opinions, the poor direction. But I think, yeah, I generally have always liked it because it is fun. It tries to give it some mythology without being too campy or contrived. And yeah, I, I kind of liked Kane Hodder in this, uh, in the, in this role because he was much. It was a little bit more menacing. Um, and for me as a child, a little bit more, even more scary. I like the opening sequence where, you know, the expectations of a jump scare don't, of what we think is going to happen doesn't. And I kind of like how they kind of switch things up a little bit. And I love Creighton Duke. I, I love him. So I know it's such a wonderfully over the top performance. Yeah. And I, the clips that I sort of caught on sci-fi a couple weeks and weekends <laughs> ago, I'm like, Man, maybe I'll like this more than than I remember seeing it at the Eagle Rock Mall whenever it came out. And I love the idea of just staring at the title of something and feeling, oh, that that's too crazy for me to actually watch. <laughs> because I definitely had to be, the parents were out when I watched the first one that I ever watched. So it, it was this uh, illicit thing that you weren't supposed to do. And I think that's part of the attraction for a lot of people for horror films. So uh, speaking of things that are terribly transgressive, let's talk about Friday the 13th Part 5 while we're all together. And so as we always do at this moment in time, let's review the characters who are still alive at this point. Right off the top, we have Tommy Jarvis 2.0, and he's a trauma survivor whose personal thermostat is always set to a jazzercise level of sweat. And then we have Dr. Matthew Letter, who is a medical professional and an amateur hair featherer. Uh, we have Pam. She's Dr. Letter's assistant. She's also a bad business model enabler. Then George the Cook and his grandson, Reggie the Reckless. We have Ethel and Junior Hubbard, who are on loan from a discarded Samuel Beckett play. We have Jake. He's a character played by an actor with a SAG card. Little known fact. Uh, we have Robin and Violet, and they have the distinction of wearing the same clothes over multiple days portrayed in the same movie because of laziness. Yeah, laziness. Let's go with that. And finally, we have Duke and Roy, who are fulfilling the long-standing Friday the 13th trope of gross ambulance drivers who are gross. And that brings us to the subject of this edition of the podcast, Anita and Damon. Uh, Damon being the brother to Reggie the Reckless and grandson to George. We first hear about them as... Reggie brings them up at breakfast, the breakfast that later Tommy suplexes somebody. George is very wary of that relationship, and we're never really told why. So this is the central question of Demon. Who is he, and what does he do or want to do? What? Who is Demon? Can anyone help me? I coded him as just being just sort of generally shady and not being really specific about because you thought he has all the rings and he and the i don't know that's actually a good question because i've like, always thought of him as like they they thought oh we'll have somebody who's like looks like maybe they're a rock star because he's wearing vic's old ring belt the exact same belt that vic wears earlier on where he looks like a circus performer he's wearing the same one and then he's wearing a pseudo black leather outfit that codes michael jackson at a point yeah um, I that with the hairstyle too um but i think the actor was wearing that anyways because he's he's totally rocking that same do in, in return of the living dead 
or yeah, uh, he is. Yeah. He- he also had an interesting, I think that was kind of his look in the 80s overall, or he was kind of typecast as kind of that role, because he also had a very, 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 very small part in one of my favorite movies, Jumping Jack Flash, uh-huh. that starred Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg, and he plays kind of this punk on the street who kind of... um. Uh, yes you're right yeah I, yeah i remember that okay <laughs> so this, yeah this actor he was in a lot of stuff in the 80s and then just mm-hmm. kind of sort of faded out um he but- he seems to have been in that sort of the hollywood shuffle era where there's because later he seems to bounce around those other people's films yeah he's still working here. yeah yeah i mean uh, literally he had a big tv gig on cbs for a while with a vietnam show and then between this and return of the living dead he i mean he's good and pops off the screen in both of those movies and then of course his biggest role would then be juana man <laughs> which that's a guilty pleasure I'm <laughs> i've never made it all the way through juana man as i've seen it replayed on comedy central it seemed ad infinitum at one point it just i have problems with the the entire concept of it i don't as you should yeah (laughs) we're all allowed to have guilty pleasures but that one was too guilty for me (laughs) (laughs) my my initial thought when i first saw him i was like oh it's oh first of all i recognize him um as an actor so and he seemed like he was playing kind of just kind of a drifter or a wanderer i think um gramps had an issue with him probably because he isn't there's no stability in his life he's kind of doing his own thing he Obviously, he's um he's doing what were illegal drugs, I guess, back in that time or whatever. If you want to call marijuana illegal, um, for all intents and purposes, in the mid nineteen eighties, okay. Um, and so just you know, he probably got into a little bit of trouble. Maybe some things were legal, maybe some things were illegal. I don't know. You, you, we don't really we. It's fun to kind of craft a story for him in a sense. Um, because we don't we're, we're not given much. Rewatching this movie, which I, I, as I mentioned before, I'm doing in bits and pieces because that is the only way I can watch this movie. I forgot that this character was the only, other than maybe the grandfather, the only character in this movie who was anywhere near charming or likable. And it's odd because he was just coded as just he was going to be you know, kind of a bully and maybe, you know, someone of uh you know a negative element no he's delightful he's the best character in the whole movie he he's completely superfluous but then again so is about 75 percent of the characters in this in this movie i mean he is no sadly this is the ongoing problem with this movie which is a need to provide an endless amount of bodies to then therefore kill who have no direct tie to the central plot and if we get down to it Roy, spoiler alert for a movie that we've spoiled many times, if you're a listener to the podcast, Roy is killing people in revenge for his son dying on sight of <laughs> this halfway house. But well, half the, the characters point, he's killed so far are not connected to it. Yeah, because we're still trying to uphold this idea that it might be Tommy, because Tommy gets attracted like a mosquito to a neon light that apparently puts him into some sort of murderous trance, (laughs) which I, I don't get that. I don't get what that was supposed to be a callback to. Because he's like literally just like like staring at. It. I expect I almost expected that his eyes were gonna turn into two little spirals like out of a cartoon. Because 
he's just drawn to it. And I'm thinking, what is that a reference? Is that supposed to be a reference to something in part four? I, I'm not understanding. And then, of course, Junior shows up. He goes ape shit on Junior. And then you figure, evidently, that wasn't enough. So he's decided he's just going to run a spear through through Demon and kill his girlfriend. Even And even if you don't know the twist, it's like, yeah, that's just not plausible. Yeah, I, once again... This film seems to confuse a person who knows basic level judo slash karate with a homicidal maniac. Those two things aren't necessarily related. You don't have to be a brown belt in anything to stab somebody or slash their throat. Conversely, if your thing is stabbing, you're not getting into a lot of physical confrontations before that. And that seems to be Roy's milieu. And then after his confrontation with Junior, he pulls that look at the camera and go, Ugh! and run away. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to be seen. So <laughs> I don't. Oh, it's terrible. It's a terrible performance by everyone. I would, I would love to know for people who saw this the first time out if they were if anybody was legitimately surprised at the air quote twist at the end. Well, from what I've been told, no one even recognized who he was when the mask came off, and that was my first experience when I saw this too. I couldn't follow the plot, so I'm thinking Jason's alive and he's killing folks, and then I, I don't. <laughs> I think my mind just went blank after the quote big reveal at the end because I'm just like, I I, it, I really never put two and two together until I actually was starting to really pay attention because maybe that this movie memory wise was so bad in my mind when I first saw it. But yeah, no one even knew who he was because no one because no one made the connection because there was no intelligent uh, tie into like who this guy was uh, in relation to the kid who got killed earlier. So everyone's like, well, what what? And there is just there's nothing but i guess generally it's just confusion well, right and then you know there are there were a couple scenes early in the movie where he sort of just meaningfully looks at the camera and then and then he disappears too because after a certain point all of the characters just sort of disappear for long stretches of time until they're needed again to either be killed or to kill people so yeah i just it, this was this twist was done just so incompetently i i you know, knowing it not knowing it it does not neither one improves the viewing experience either way but whenever people have sort of called out the quote-unquote misbegotten uh editions of various horror franchises whether that's halloween 3 or nightmare on elm street 2 which i dispute 1000 percent, and then they bring up part 5 and often it's because it's the one without jason in it but no when I ask people, why do you like this movie? I'm not going <laughs> to argue you out of it. I'm not not going to try to argue you into hating it. But why do you like it? And they're like, oh, it's just kind of crazy. But lots of movies that are more enjoyable are crazy. Let's give an example of where this film is crazy. When Reggie and Pam take off and they take Tommy with them for reasons only dr letter can understand <laughs> he just suggests it and then pam's like okay i do whatever you say they get in the truck and they take off the terrifying driving scene <laughs> four different swoosh pans of that truck going from the left side of the screen to the right while the soundtrack has the most frightening orgasm you've ever heard in your life you would have thought that blood were coming out of the pores of someone on screen or a head was about to explode. 
not a truck successfully making it 50 yards down a very well-lit road. Why is this happening? Who thought that this upped the ante of the, you know, whole feeling of the movie? It just doesn't make any fucking sense. And then they arrive. Reggie runs off to meet Demon at his van. So this brings us to our next Friday the 13th trope, which is rad vans. It is pretty rad. It is, considering in comparison to, let's say, the van from part three or part seven, this is a pretty decent (laughs) van. He's got tricked out for like some Spencer's Gifts posters and all, and you know some of those are blacklight posters. Pretty swell, yeah. There's a lot of uh, food storage container space for him. He's got whatever you want. He's got burritos. He's got sausage and cheese pizza. He's, he's, He's stocked up. The enchiladas that everyone now associates with poor demon. And this is, again, where I feel this film really lets these characters down. I would say that they're the only couple in the entire film that is nice to one another. With the exception of, I'm gonna get you, bitch, later on, which seems to be playful. I'm gonna guess it's playful. Yeah. Well, I mean, she was shaking an outhouse while he's attempting to move his bowels. So that that, that would make me a little feisty. (laughs) It wasn't, and once again, Chuck, when Chili did it to him in part three, was was not thrilled. But, so this brings us to our next issue, which is the Friday the 13th's fascination with showing dudes shitting. And not wiping themselves after. Yes. Now, at least this particular edition of it does so without the added benefit of the third dimension, which we had to suffer (laughs) through not once, but twice in part three. Because what is missing from watching a dude take a dump but stuff coming at you? At the very least, this puts Demon in a situation where he gets trapped. And we get that dagger chest-like magic trick of someone stabbing through it. Whereas in the previous two editions, we just saw guys shit, I don't know, for the fun of it. (laughs) Well, I feel like this is... Yeah, that's sort of the the ultimate humiliation for people. And again, particularly in this movie, this is this is not a humiliation that Demon earns. He seems to be a decent fellow, and and I and I'm not sure why he ultimately gets one of the most embarrassing deaths in the movie. Why are they made to suffer the sins of Roy's kid dying? It just doesn't make any fucking sense. Everything, everything in this movie is unearned. You know, the the shock that the audience is supposed to feel at the big reveal at the end is unearned. The fear and suspense over the possibility that it might be Tommy who's doing this completely unearned. The satisfaction that the audience is supposed to feel at these various characters' deaths is very much unearned. Mostly because you just you don't know who these people are. They're, they're painted so broadly or just have no bearing on the plot that there's no there's no inv- emotional investment in any of them. I think that was the point, unfortunately, and I think that's mostly credited towards the director who, you know, everyone will mention uh, who's uh, interested in these films will mention, oh, he's the guy who did porn before he directed a Friday the 13th film. And I know specifically the actress who played Pam, you know, she would kind of, you know, she would try to engage him in a conversation about her character. And basically, my interpretation of he just gave her a blank stare and he's just like, you know, just just do whatever. He, he wasn't interested in developing any of these characters. He was interested in getting the money shots and making a film that I guess you could call a film 
in story and plot and just put it out there and make some money. I don't think he had any interest in giving these people any kind of even working with his even really working with the actors unfortunately and so that was that's a little behind the scenes tidbit I heard about him so I don't know if I, I, I'm assuming that has a lot to do with why the we get this end product oh yeah but, I could totally I could totally believe that and, and it almost seems a little bit like the actors that played Demon and Anita might have spent a little bit of time trying to to develop a rapport and act like people who would be in a relationship with each other would act they they seem pretty believable they certainly seem more believable than than Eddie and Tina or any <laughs> any, any anybody else in the in, in this movie they, they seem more believable than Junior and his mama do as as mother and son so you know, either they I, just kind of hit it hit it off right away, or they spent a little time trying to, to develop a rapport that, again, this this movie did not deserve their effort. I thought their chemistry was very natural, and I loved Reggie's response to Anita because I don't that just that is so classic, like typical like uh, brown kid charm coming out. Like I've I've seen I've seen it so many times before, especially in that in this kind of like nostalgic context of the eighties. The hello beautiful. Like I that is just so <laughs> like on point. And I, I remember when I first saw when I first noticed um the actress, I was just like first I thought it was Janet Jackson. Because I'm like she mm-hmm. kinda looks like her and she she sounds like her and I'm just like, wait a minute, who's this? And again it kind of goes back into kind of what I do with the website, just kind of really investigating and researching who these actresses are and performers are, especially because they're not a lot of them aren't as well known. So I was like, okay, so it's Jer Fields, who I think was on Good Times or dated uh, the guy who played JJ. Well, the big rumor with her was that she had appeared on a TV game show where it was kind of like the newlywed game with Jimmy Walker. Oh, okay. And so the rumor was that they were actually married when they are not. It, it seems like it should be true. <laughs> I want it to yeah, be true because it, that it would does. be cool. <laughs> yeah, I, who who knows really? Um, I'm surprised it shouldn't be so shrouded in mystery. I don't feel unless unless there's something we don't, just don't know. There's probably more to the story. Who knows? It's one of those things. There's more where... intrigue into this one actress's background than anything having to do with their character. Yeah, and that is the fault of the writer and the director and the producers of this film, which it, they do nothing to make these characters stand out and seem interesting. And we're left alone with the performances and. <laughs> Right here we have charming performances, but in other places not so much. And I think you're right, Ashley, in terms of his porn background, because you basically got a big sausage pizza situation going on here, where (laughs) a scene is set up with the basest of perfunctory situations. We are going to meet my brother. He has a girlfriend. We're going to leave now. Okay, death. There's no thought to it whatsoever, but they aren't treated any better than anyone else. And I think that really sucks considering the people of color meter for the Friday the 13th film series is Foxy and the one guy who wears Mork from Ork suspenders in part two. Considering how... (laughs) Uh, Oh, my apologies, Ollie. Yeah, and then I think in six, you get the gal who gets the party favor stuck in her eye. That's that's Yeah, and her boyfriend. Yeah, Yeah. I, every Friday the 13th, I either make a new collage because I always forget someone or, which is a good thing, or um, I just want to make a new uh, fancy one because I love Friday the 13th. I treat it like a holiday. Um, <laughs> I, I will say this as someone who's gone through this stuff, um, just kind of surveying a diverse representation of people of color, specifically mm-hmm. black folks. In the big franchises, Friday the 13th just takes it. They have the most black people characters. Really? Yes. Wow. Trust me. So 
so yeah i mean there's a lot so if we take a survey from part one all the way to the remake yeah there's considerable there's a considerable amount more men than women obviously it's funny i was even trying to figure out um because her face was so familiar to me but i couldn't picture her um i couldn't think of her name and I, I of course i can't think of it right now but i have it on on one of my lists on one of my articles but the paramedic from part four oh, the yeah. very beginning her right. yes Yes, and she's been. She was an actress, and she did. Sev- she did work in a. I think mostly just nineteen eighties, but her too. And a friend of mine, um, who knows someone who worked on Crystal Lake Memories, who's like, oh, her name is such and such, and he gave me her name, and I was able to kind of research her from there. So, but yeah, so I mean, you you do have characters kind of spread out. I even my man from uh, Jason Takes Manhattan, oh, oh, Julius. Julius, Julius, yeah, yeah. I think besides besides maybe Creighton Duke, he had the more standout role. It's a black character. I don't know. I'm he, trying for, to what think. It, for what it's worth, it gets my favorite death in it. So yeah, yeah. It just it seems like considering the audience for these films historically, that you have a lot of young people, and then you have a huge black and Latino and Asian American audience that have championed and shown up for these films over long haul, and the fact that they don't get the level of roles or that their roles seem diminished compared to others in how they're either presented or in their screen time. I think it sucks because I like the movies and I just, I wish it were better. And it sounds like I've actually chosen the franchise that does it better than the others. And that makes me really fucking pissed. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, it's What's funny is from what, what I'm learning, and this is what I've been reading uh, behind the scenes stuff, yada, yada, yada. I feel like sometimes, not all the time, Sometimes it is this, it's the producer's decision to, like, if a writer, director, filmmaker, whomever, they say, I want a more diverse, I want a more diverse cast, or I want some black kids in this, or I want some Latino kids in this. The producer will be like, no, 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 that's not, you know, well, the the audiences won't really connect with, you know, uh, more well-rounded black characters. This is my, um, you know, par- paraphrasing or interpretation of, of it because I'll, I'll read, you know, I know Wes Craven, for example, wanted more black black characters or brown characters in part three, Dream Warriors, mm-hmm. but he got pushback from that. I know um, in part two, the same thing with Freddy's Revenge, they wanted more black characters. No, 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 no. It, I, I'm assuming that has a little bit to do with it, unfortunately, where you get a big studio who's just very, you know, not... Well, are very very hesitant to embrace the fact that you know the world just isn't very white <laughs> and which you know I'm, i feel like i'm preaching to the choir when i say this but uh it's it's i think that's a really unfo- unfortunate aspect of it and yes uh there there's people uh regardless of color who are going to come out and see these movies sometimes i go to the movie theaters with them but that's a whole other story about my annoyance <laughs> with how people talk to the screen in a public theater but you know i I think it's unfortunate and I'm hoping that, for example, with Get Out, I'm hoping that, you know, a, a, a place like Blumhouse and these other studios will be more, will embrace more filmmakers of color who want to show a variety of stories and protagonists who just aren't white. I'm hoping this is the, going to be the trajectory, but who knows? Well, I certainly hope so as well. I just don't think anything grows. And I, as a horror fan, I want horror to grow as like a Marvel fan. I want Marvel to grow. The only way you do that is to burst out of the the voices and faces and stories that I'm used to and explore other areas. And I feel like that's cracking. It's it's gonna the dam is gonna burst and I can't wait 
to see those stories because I will not have seen them before. And that's where you get freshness and newness that everyone complains about from Hollywood. Conversely, when we're talking about the producers of these films at the time, they obviously knew something was up, particularly with the Nightmare on Elm Street series, which has a long-standing tradition of using a hip-hop song in the after credits Mm -hmm. because they knew that audience liked those films. So that is their nod. I I will put your music in the end credits. But as far as like, hey... She's the final girl? Mm-mm, not so much. And that's where I get really fucking irritated. It's it's just ugly and wrong. Yeah, and par for the course, unfortunately. And I love that franchise, but I, I'm not above critiquing it at all. But you're absolutely right. This is our mantra at the Kill by Kill podcast. We love Friday the 13th, but we're not under the delusion that it's super awesome. We like it for what it is, and, and it can take the punches. It, it it should be noted. So let's get back to Anita and Demon, because they deserve uh, our focus. I was going to say the best thing that can be said is at least it's you can't say that their appearances are gratuitous, because all the characters are gratuitous. It's just that these these characters just happen to be black. It's not like they just showed up, you know, oh, here's the black guy, oh, now he's dead, because yeah. pretty much all the characters are treated like that it's just i think what's what's maddening is again they really just make you know well-rounded likable characters who again like the phrase i used before are set up like bowling pins to to be knocked over and so we have this uh sing off back and forth after demon discovers that anita has been the one who's been shaking the outhouse and this also seems to be a signifier that people call back to as what they like about the movie if they can sing ooh baby to somebody and they will respond, "Oh, you're in the tribe. You know, you know the movies." Or you can say it's really weird to be singing back and forth to somebody while you're sitting on the john. Oh no, I do it all the time. <laughs> this this is what we do in the household. We sing from toilets. It's what normal people do all the time. But I think that's a sign of nervousness. That is what I have always taken it. It's it's a pressure release. Oh, you scared me. Now I'm going to soothe you. And that's kind of cool up until the point Demon opens the door when he doesn't get a response from Anita. Discovers her body on the ground. And the makeup job here probably doesn't do her a lot of justice. Because her pulse is going so visibly... When he opens the door, you know that she is not dead. She is both breathing heavily and her pulse is going like crazy. So she's either trying to hold her breath or she's super excited. I don't know which one it is. But Demon backs away like stab wounds are catching. That's nothing new for the Friday the 13th series. All dudes react with, I have to save myself other than, oh, this is my loved one whom I sleep with often. I should help them. Uh Uh-uh. This is where the movie could have helped him out. You, he could have been threatened by someone. All you need to see is a hand holding on to a weapon. And you're like, oh, fuck, I'm backing up. Oh, wait, I'm trapped. Nope. Director doesn't give him any fucking help there either. I never noticed the... Uh, the I, I don't notice those. Oh, I Sometimes I do. With, I, with repeat watches, I do. I never noticed her pulse. <laughs> it's one of those things. I'm one of those infamous things, I guess. It kind of calls back to, like everyone says in, in Halloween too, Annie's eye twitches when she's on the uh, stretcher. So it's one of those things, I guess. I, I never noticed that. But I did want to say one thing I thought was really cute um, about the singing. I always thought that that was something that they kind of did with each other. Maybe not on the toilet, but <laughs> like that was... 
I felt like that was always something that, that, that was kind of theirs as a couple. Like that was maybe kind of an endearment that they had that, that, that clearly was not the first time that they did a call and response kind of a thing towards each other in a very romantic candor. So and I, I've always liked it for that. Again, it gives you that little those little Easter eggs of like this. These characters are more than caricatures or just you know par for the body count. So yeah, it it definitely adds more dimension than say Tina and Eddie, who are the couple that likes to fuck. That that's that's, <laughs> that's all we can say about them. I mean, their conversations with one another, Gina, are like. Personally, it takes me back to Hollywood's golden era, you know, when when words meant something. They, oh, I just get lost in their back and forth. It feels like, you know, the thin man is all of a sudden plunked down in the middle of a Friday the 13th movie. Oh, Jesus. So fucking horrible. So, yeah. Uh, and then we get the sequence, which should be suspenseful. Because I'll give it this. This is a decent setup. For a scare sequence. You have a person trapped in a small metal box. You don't have a lot of places to go. You can't see outside of it. And the person on the outside trying to kill you, all they have to do is repeatedly stab inside in the hopes that eventually they hit their target. Now that's a setup for a pretty decent little suspense et. And what we're given are five stabs of which two are successful, and then it's over. It's just not a lot there, there. Well, it does still seem a little... His his death seems to be a little more prolonged than everybody else's, at least up to this point. Which, which again, it's like, what did this guy do to deserve this? Nothing. He did nothing, you know? He wouldn't have known who Roy was. He wouldn't have known who Joey was. You know, as far as we know, this is... I mean, we don't know if this is the first time he's he's come to to visit Reggie, but this is certainly, he wouldn't have known anything that, that had happened recently in regards to Joey's death. So you know, why are you tormenting this relatively decent young guy that you, you've never met before and, and dragging out his death as long as you possibly can? And, and again, keeping up the pattern of these particular actors giving more than this movie is entitled to, he seems pretty genuinely scared. He he gives a decent performance in, in, in this, which is more than you could say for pretty much everybody else in this movie. Far and away, he's the most accomplished actor to emerge from this <laughs> film. Oh, for sure. He He's pretty much the Kevin Bacon of Friday the 13th Part <laughs> 5 in terms of the longevity of his career. That's true. This man was on television. He was supporting in film. He was the lead in film. And you get the idea that, you know, probably he had a lot more going on. He certainly has, he certainly leaps off the screen. And I, but Hollywood's a shitty town. So that's what you get. But I think one of the reasons why his death is so sustained on screen is because it's relatively bloodless. And this film is cut to the bone by the MPAA. And as a result, his jacket hides the sort of source of that wound, and you're left with the magic trick of it just being in his chest. So if I'm being a cynic, I'm guessing that's why it's it's on screen as long as it is. Yeah, I would think so too. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P.D. Anita and Demon, you deserve. We genuinely, better. we genuinely miss you. <laughs> we re- we really R.I.P.D. you, Anita and Anita. We've, Anita. we've still got another forty minutes of bullshit after this. <laughs> <laughs> So that brings us once again to everyone's favorite game show, Choose Your Own Death Venture. And we have two choices here. 
Pretty simple. If you had to die in one of the two ways presented in this section of the Friday the 13th film, you can either have your throat slit like Anita, or you can be stabbed in both the thigh and the chest like Demon. What way would you choose to go out? And I look to Ashley, our guest, for her response first. Uh, probably the former, because <laughs> I, I couldn't do a prolonged death. You're going with throat slashing? Oh, yeah. I have, I have a thing. I ha- I think because just I know that, like, no, this is, it's weird. I have a weird response to it. Something about, like, any kind of injury to, to my thigh is really unsettling and, and just creeps me out personally. So I think just as much as I, I, I would take throat over thigh. <laughs> There are no weird responses in Choose Your Own Death Venture. It's all weird, and that's why I like it. And uh, Gina, which way do you choose? Uh, I think I've established before that I really do not want to die on the toilet. Mm-hmm. So, and, and even though that seems to be the preferred choice of many of the characters in, in these <laughs> fine motion pictures. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to have to also throw in a vote for Anita because I, I would rather be found outside an outhouse than inside an outhouse. I think these are both rational and worthy explanations. I will differ from both of you, and I will go with Demon if for this alone. The 12-year-old version of me really likes Demon's outfit. And while I couldn't <laughs> carry it off, in my mind... Maybe I could, and I wouldn't mind being found in that black leather outfit. I just feel like, I don't know, it speaks to me. And technically, I'm found just above the toilet because I'm being held up by the spear. So I'm going with Damon for that reason alone. And it's stupid, and it's my kind of stupid. For his aesthetic choices? Yes. Yes. It's not so much the death. I'm going out either way, but if I'm going to be found dead in a toilet, I'd like to be found dead in a toilet in style. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly a more dignified death on a toilet than uh, our friends that ran the general store in uh, the beginning of part three. Oh, don't get me started on the fact that he has a toilet in his stock room, Gina. <laughs> A toilet in his stock room where he has food. Then again, this is the same person who finds a bunny in the food that he sells to other people. I'm gonna we would go off on that again for an entire episode. <laughs> that that movie is certifiably fucking insane. And yet, when I saw it with an audience, it moved by at a clip. Like it kinda it kinda worked in that circumstance. I I still find the entire opening of it super skeevy, but People that's not love for nothing. That one. Yeah, they do. I don't understand why? But well, the couple behind me had never seen it before, and they had the best time. So I, I, I got to sort of see it not necessarily through their eyes, but through their reactions, and they were delighted. They were having the best of times. And while I see a lot of the problems with it because we watched it in such small sections, focused so deeply on the details, when it just rolls out, it it sort of works. It's still very stagnant because the 3D camera doesn't really move. It's on a pole the whole time. Everyone has to hit those stupid marks. It doesn't quite move the way others do. But, you know, if you're just coming into it, it's not the worst addition. There are much better, but it's not the worst. So 
we've unfortunately come to the end of our journey together. But Ashley, uh, where can people find you on the internets? Uh, honestly, just go to at Graveyard Sister on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter and you can kind of like find everything else from there because I'm always posting and sharing links and also sharing others links because this is a community and I love people participating and doing other stuff on their own and being creative and proactive and scholarly. It's been it's been great. But yeah, Graveyard Sister on Twitter. Excellent. And uh, Gina, uh, where can people hunt you down, you know, virtually, not really in real life? I'm, I'm pretty hard to find in real life. I, I live in the big city and I'm very short, so I can duck behind <laughs> trash cans and down alleyways and all. But uh, I digress. Uh, you can find me uh, at tuneintonight.wordpress.com, where I am usually writing about 70s and 80s television that nobody except me has given a damn about in a very long time. Excellent. Do it. Do it right now. People, as always, you can reach out to us a couple different ways on Twitter at KillByKillPod. And if you have an email to send to us, uh, you can send it at KillByKillPod at gmail.com. As always, we would love it and deeply appreciate it if you give us a nice review on iTunes. It helps our profile and get farther out to more people to experience the podcast. And as we always do, we like to give you a little bit of a challenge with that and that we would like to hear your favorite Friday the 13th death. Whatever it is, tell us about it in your review of the show and we will read it on the air. And that pretty much does it. So for Ashley and Gina and myself, goodbye everybody. Kill by Kills produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.